36. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so um, Numbers 21. So uh, we'll pick up uh, kind of just where we left off last time. You know, if you remember, we've been trekking through the wilderness with the Israelites, right? So in the last chapter, just to recap where we've been, Moses rebelled, right? And the promise was given that he wouldn't enter the promised land with the second generation that God had raised up. And Aaron died in chapter 20 as well. So you see this transition from the first generation to the second generation. However, um, we're going to see some of the same traits, right? Some of the same characteristics. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, right? In the second generation that we saw in the first generation. And so in 21, um, the chapter starts off and shows that this Canaanite king opposes Israel, right? As they are still trekking towards the land. And they ask God, if you will hand this people over to us, then we will defeat them, right? Then we will destroy them. And we know, we have to remember that God, hear this, God giving us the victory is the only way we can gain it. In this wilderness, the a spiritual and real opponents that we have, right? The only way we can uh, gain a victory towards them is if God allows us to gain it, if he gives it to us. And so the Lord gives them victory. And however, just like the, sh- the first generation, shortly after they fall, right? Because of their impatience, they complain and they're on Moses's head. Bro, why did we even come out of Egypt? We ain't got bread, water, and the food is trash. And so what does God do? God brings a type of judgment, a temporal judgment, and he brings these snakes, right? And some Israelites actually died, right? Again, warning us, showing how difficult it is in the wilderness and how many people will rebel. But the ones who don't die the ones who don't receive the judgment what do they do they run to moses moses lifts up this snake and those that look to it are saved right what is the point jesus in john chapter 3 will draw a parallel to his work of being lifted up at the cross and the irony is is that they receive blessing through the imagery of curse right they're going to receive this blessing in chapter 21 through the imagery of curse same thing is going to happen with Christ who um was cursed because he was hung on a cross according to Galatians chapter 3 but those who look to it are blessed and so God is going to leave a remnant God is going to leave a faithful few who have not turned their back on him and so they continue on their journey and they come to more Amorite kings and they receive the victory from God and these victories are going to show us that God could do hear this God could do what the 10 spies in the first generation did not believe he could or would and as a result we learn that God hear this does not just want to get people out of their wickedness but he wants people who trust his wisdom in the wilderness. And so all of this is about faith and trusting the plan, provision, word of God. Numbers 22, one of my favorite uh, sections in the book of Numbers. Um, And it is one of the strangest kind of um, sections or narratives in Numbers, but it's also one of the most insightful stories uh, actually in the whole Bible. So what happens? Israel comes to settle in this place called Moab, right? They are right on the brink of the promised land. Remember, we are getting close to entering. They are right here at the plains of Moab and they are getting so close that they could probably smell it, 
right? And what happens here in 22 to 24, you're not even going to see Israel in the narrative primarily. God is going to switch the scene, so to speak, to talk about a man named Balak and Balaam, right? So Balak is the king of the region of Moab. Right. And he was hip. He was sharp. He was he was abreast to everything that was going on with the Israelites and what they had did to the other armies. He was aware that God that had brought him out of Egypt. He was aware of the victory that God uh, had gave them uh, over these other Canaanite groups. And he had heard of their track record. So he tries to get he sends some of his people with some bread. He stocks them up. He sends them to this guy named Balaam. And Balaam is a pagan sorcerer of Mesopotamian origin. And he's like, Balaam, I want you to pronounce this curse on this people so they don't take over everywhere they've been like they've been doing. All right. And the thing that the text is going to show is this, that no one can curse those whom God has blessed. No man can thwart the absolute perfect plan of God that he has set out to accomplish for his people. Right. So Balak is going to send these people to Balaam to express his words. Right. That he wants Israel cursed. And Balaam is going to say to the people because God revealed himself. Hear this to this pagan, to this non-Israelite. God is just working. He's going to reveal himself to this non-Israelite. And he's going to say, Balaam's going to be like, I'm away on God. <clears throat> I'm away on God, right? God doesn't say go. These folks are blessed. There's no way they can be cursed. Folks folks go away. The folks that Balak sends goes away and they come back a second time. And Balaam doesn't want to disobey Yahweh. Nevertheless, God is like, you know what, Balaam, I'm going to tell you to go. But guess what? Only say what I tell you. Now, remember this. Remember the narrative. Balaam is a pagan non-Israelite, a not or non-believer, and he is obeying the will of God and God's people are not. So don't miss the contrast. The one whom we would expect to disobey obeys and the one whom we would expect to obey rebels. And what do we see? That God is going to get his will accomplished no matter what. So he it then comes a scene. Well, Balaam is actually heading back to Balak because, again, he's going to actually go, but he's only going to say what God told him to say. So he goes back to Balak, but he's riding on this donkey, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So he's riding on this donkey. And as he tr tries to go to Moab, where Balak is, they are cut off by an angel of the Lord. And what's interesting here is that the donkey is the only one who sees the angel of the Lord not belong and what's uh also interesting is that these donkeys were known for their stubbornness and unyielding uh nature and he sees the angel and the so-called sorcerer cannot see the angel right so we even see the blindness of this pagan prophet and sorcerer that is meant to highlight the spiritual blindness that is present in him as well and they are stopped three times by the angel of the Lord. And only after Balaam's eyes are open, only after the Lord removes his blindness, can he see what the angel of the Lord is saying, right? That God ultimately once said what he once said. And so we see in this narrative that God's grace and mercy and plan is unfolding in a way that many of us, none of us would have expected. And so I'm here to tell you today that God's 
plan in this world to redeem a people for himself and to bring them into the new heavens and new earth where they fellowship with him forever is going to unfold in a way we don't expect. So in 23 and 24, Balaam is going to make it finally all the way to the plains of Moab back to Balak. And we see now that instead of Moses being the revelatory mouthpiece of God, God is using a pagan, right? He's using a non-believer, right? And instead of Moses doing and proclaiming the blessing over the people of God, which was one of the roles of the priests, we're going to have this Mesopotamian pagan sorcerer doing it, right? And so he's going to give these four oracles that extend through the last uh, two chapters. And basically in the first oracle, in verse 10 of the first oracle, he will essentially say that Israel is the dust of of Jacob, right? And this is an allusion to Genesis chapter 13, where God gives the promise. He keeps reaffirming these promises to Abraham, where he says, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So in the midst of all of this foolishness and unfaithfulness, my promise is still intact, right? God, God had promised and made a covenant to bless Abraham and make his offspring innumerable, right? <laughs> and Israel is set apart to do this, and God is still going to do this the second oracle god's the main the main thought he brings up there is that god's declaration what god decrees and declares is irreversible right why not because of who we are but because of who he is right he isn't a man so he doesn't make empty promises he can't lie it is impossible for him to do so check what he says god is not a man that he should lie numbers 23 23 uh, 19 um god is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? The third oracle, chapter 24, he says even more that alludes to uh, things that we have seen earlier in the biblical history and things that will come later. So now he is actually prophesying. So he's going to say water will flow from his buckets and his seed will be by abundant water. His king will be greater than Agag. He's talking about Israel and his kingdom will be exalted. Notice how he's going to speak about Israel having a kingdom. <laughs> and this king is greater than Agag. Now, what is insane about this? What's insane, bro, is that Saul was Israel's first king. Irony, right? Not somebody we would expect. Saul is going to be Israel's first king. And you know who he defeats? Agag, right? It's wild. The Bible is true. The Bible is having this man prophesy, right? So again, remember the story. Balak wants Balaam <laughs> to curse Israel. And all he's doing is reaffirming Israel's blessings, right? Balaam shows that what God has promised them, they may not see them yet, but it doesn't mean those promises aren't real. Then he goes back to the Abrahamic promise. He's going to say, yo, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. Speaking of Israel, finally, he's going to come in the fourth oracle and say, hey, Israel's promises are not just about Israel, but they're about the ultimate Israelite, Jesus, right? Um, and so this text 2411 is going to talk about the way in which Jesus will come. It says, yo, I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. He will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down all the Shethites. One who comes from Jacob will rule. He will destroy the cities survivors and so what Balaam is going to do God is going to use this pagan prophet to speak a blessing over Israel 
and obey him even when Israel is not obeying him. And so God is in the midst and sovereign and control over history that he can use anybody for his purposes, even a donkey, even a pagan to accomplish his will. And we're going to see in spite of all Israel's rebellion that God's people are not saved because they keep God's commands. God's people are saved because God keeps his promises. Listen, family, I want you to know this. The promises of God are our lifeline in the wilderness. God is going to take, usually takes, an unexpected and alternative route to bring about his promises. And it usually doesn't look like or seem like we are moving toward what God said we would have or that we actually have it already. But I want to encourage you that that's the way it's always been, right? And until that day when we see God face to face, we have to live in this wilderness by faith. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us the grace and mercy and strength to live by faith today as we trek on in the wilderness toward our inheritance. I pray that you would give us favor um, and that you would give us spiritual sight to see the things you're doing.